I wanted to introduce you to my family real quick before I get into the message. Uh, on the screen, I'm going to show you a picture of my family. This is my wife, Kristen. She and I have been married for 18 years, and uh, we met in Bible college. It's the perfect place to meet a spouse, I will say this. It's also dangerous. I met my wife, Kristen, 18 years ago. We've been married. We, we actually went on our very first date 21 years ago, just this last week. Um, to my left is our son, Jude, who is 14 years old. Uh, he believes that he's the greatest athlete that our family's ever seen. He was born with a big head. He also has a concussion from football today. It's true. And that's our son, Cruz, over to my right. Um, He's 12 years old, and he is a social butterfly. Uh, he loves his friends, and his friends love him. And he was born with a big head. And in my arms is our daughter, Indy, who is six years old. She is an amazing, remarkable little girl. She was born with a normal-sized head. And honestly, we were very excited when she was born with a normal head because we suffer from big-headed problems in our family. My mom says that my head is the same size today as it was the day that I was born. We've learned to deal with this all of our life. I want to talk to you today not only about the assignment that God has called us to, but I want to talk to you about your role in understanding your purpose and the mission that God has called you to, not only as a church, but as individuals. See, sometimes we come into a building like this and we come into a legacy that we've been a part of here at First Assembly for decades. We come into this place and we see ourselves as part of the legacy. We see ourselves as part of the vision. And the reality of that is very, very true. But at the same time, you are also called to a very personal mission and a personal legacy and a personal vision that I believe God wants to begin to reveal to us this morning about why we are called to be a part of a purpose and what our order is. And so this morning, I want to be able to look at the book of Ezekiel. I want to look at the story of the prophet Ezekiel taken to a valley of dry bones. And I believe that the Lord is going to reveal to us some things about our own mission, our own vision, and what God has called us to and how that impacts my life and about what God is doing today on the continent of Africa throughout 48 countries that we believe God is getting ready to send a move of God to. We have to begin to pray for a move of God. Not only here in America, but around the world, we have to believe that God is getting ready to send a revival that will change the hearts and lives of men and women all over the face of planet earth because it is my responsibility as a son of God to talk about the good things that God has done in me, the good things that God has done through me, but if I only keep it to myself, then I am not living out the mission and the mandate of God. I'm not living out what God has spoken to me. I'm not living out what I've been called to do as a son of God. So it is incumbent upon me to share the good news of God with the world that I'm a part of. We like to say this in our family, that we are called by God to go next door and around the world. There's something remarkable about living in your context and sharing Jesus, but also recognizing that I get to go around the world and tell people about Jesus there as well. It's going to be an exciting morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37. The book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37, verse number 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. 
Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I call this message, Because I Said So. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be in church this morning. I thank you for what you've done in Bakersfield, California, and the investment that this church has made into missions and missionaries around the world for decades. Thank you for the lives that have been impacted. Thank you for our missions conference that starts this morning. And thank you for the people who've joined us. Thank you for our leadership who invest in missions and who believe in what you're doing in this city, in this state, and around the world. Father, I pray that you would speak life to us. I pray that we would leave this room knowing that we've been in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. When I was two years old, my dad had a dream. My dad had a dream, and in his dream, he found himself sitting on an airplane. And as he was in the middle of this dream, he didn't know actually where he was going, but he knew that there was something significant taking place. My dad, in his dream, landed the plane that he was in, landed on a long strip of runway. It was on an asphalt runway. And when my dad got down to the bottom of the stairs, he put his foot down on the asphalt runway down at the bottom of the stairs. He turned and he tried to get his bearings to see where he was. And he recognized that he was standing on the peninsula. He began to look around him in his dream and saw that on three sides of where he was standing, he was surrounded by water. And as he tried to look around him to get his bearings and understand the context of where he was standing, he looked out across the bay of water on one side and saw that on the other side there was a city rising up on the mountains where the mountains came all the way down to the beach. He could see that there were twinkling lights in the distance that were twinkling from the city on the side of this mountain. My dad woke up the very next morning and he ran to find my mother. He found my mom and he said, I think that God's calling us into missions. And I think the Lord has shown me where we're going to go. And my mom laughed out loud. She said, you can go. I'll stay. So it was like my mom and my dad weren't necessarily in agreement. So my dad began to pray. My dad began to pray. He would pray for seven years. He prayed every day for seven years. God, speak to my wife. I pray that you would speak to her about the place that you're calling us into missions. I know that you've put something in my heart, God, and I pray that you would speak to her about the place and the timing of where you've called us to go. And my mother, she also began to pray for my father. She said, Jesus, I pray that you would get these crazy thoughts out of my husband's head. Father, I have no clue what my husband is thinking. I have no clue what's got into his mind. Lord, I have no understanding of what you're doing in my husband. And when she was trying to cancel out my dad's prayers, for seven years, she tried to pray the opposite of what my dad was praying. But after seven years, the Lord spoke to them. They finally found themselves on the same page. And they began to enter into a journey of what the Lord was going to do with them in missions. It was an extraordinary opportunity as a son to be able to walk with my mother and my father in times and in seasons like this. I want you to understand that I'm going to finish this story, but I believe that God wants to say something to us along the journey as we find ourselves in this moment. See, I'm the father of three amazing children, and I have to tell you that from a parent's perspective, I don't always have the best answers to my kids' questions, especially when it's in response to an order that I like to give them. When I say to my son, I need you to take out the trash, and he says to me, why? And when I say to my son, I need you to go downstairs and I need you to make your bed. And my 12-year-old son says to me, well, why? See, I like to go down to the basement from time to time when I want to feel sad. 
My two sons live in the basement. That's where their rooms are. Whenever I want to feel sad and whenever I want to find ramen, I go down to the basement. I find ramen in my 12-year-old son's room that's returned to its normal state. See, ramen comes out of the package crusty, and if you leave it in the bowl too long, it returns to its original state. It returns to crusty again, which makes me wonder what we're putting in our body. I found a chicken bone underneath my son's bed one time. He ate it, tossed it underneath there, and left it for me to find. There's a reason I tell my son to go downstairs and clean your room, and yet he says to me, why? I wish I had a great answer to tell my boys every time they said to me, why? But the truth is, I don't have time to articulate all the responses to my son's questions when they say to me, why? The truth is, every now and then, the only response I have to my boys when they question my authority or question my answer is because I said so. And I know that it frustrated you and I when our mom and dad said it to us, but here we are, sometime later, years later, saying the exact same thing to our own children. I don't know why, because I said so. And I, f I found that because I said so really has no explanation. Because I said so was filled with ambiguity. It has to rely on implied trust and belief. In other words, moms and dads hope that when we say, because I said so, that there is trust between father and son or between the parents and the children that allows sons and daughters to say to themselves, I believe that my mother and father have my best interest in mind. Which honestly takes me back to our scripture for just a moment. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord was upon me. Talking about the prophet Ezekiel, the hand of the Lord was upon me. On me. And what you and I are seeing in this moment is a very dark and a powerful moment. The prophet Ezekiel is taken to a valley. I want to use your imagination for just a moment and picture loose rocks standing like piers around the valley. There are probably no more than two or three entrances to the valley, but these armies that have come and somehow have met in the middle have lost their lives. They had come prepared for battle and here they are in the middle of the valley and they've lost their purpose. See, I've had my, my heart on this message for some time, and I believe that there are truths buried within the context of the Scripture. And as I reread it over and over again, the greatest missional concept that I find buried within the layers of this verse is very simple. It's every purpose has power, but only if put into practice. Every purpose has power, but only if put into practice. It means that you and I were not made randomly without a purpose. From the foundation of the world, God has created you. He's created your family. He's created the church to live a life on purpose, dedicated to beginning to tell the world about the goodness of God and the good God that we have the opportunity to serve. See, the word order implies that you and I have a place. A place where we do what God has called us to do. A place where we live the way that God has shown us and a way that we live that purpose out. But here's the catch that I want to begin to unpeel for just a moment. My place in the order and your place in the order do not always line up. In other words, my place doesn't have to be your place. Your gifting is not necessarily my gifting. What gives me life doesn't necessarily give you life. I'm called to the continent of Africa. You may not be called to the continent of Africa. But at the same time, we get the opportunity to live out the mandate that God has put in each and every one of us and upon each and every one of us. If you are not living the order that God has placed upon you, then you will constantly live your life in a series of one after the other frustrations wondering how you got here why you are the way that you are and frustrated that you can't seem to find the direction that you once believed that you had for your life I love my kids I'm so excited to be their father 
but my kids have a way of critiquing me. Have you ever been critiqued by a 10-year-old? Have you ever had a 10-year-old look at you and say things about you that you wonder where they got such insight? My children tell me that I'm eccentric. They tell me all the time that I'm eccentric, and at first I tried to figure out what that meant to a 10-year-old when he was telling me this. What does it mean to a 12-year-old when he looks at you and tells you that you're eccentric? I thought maybe it means that when I, when I go pick them up at school and I roll down the window and I'm listening to 80s music, maybe that means I'm eccentric. Maybe I like to talk to my kids' friends and ask them questions about their life, and I ask them what their mom and dad do for a living, and that is eccentric to my children. They make fun of me for doing that. They say, when are you going to ask them for their social security number? When are you going to ask them for their parents' credit card numbers? I'm just trying to understand the kids you're bringing into my house. I just want to understand some things. And I lived my life with concern about the word eccentric as it relates to me. Until not that long ago, my wife and I were shopping we were shopping in a Sam's Club, actually, and we were walking down the aisle, and we happened to notice that there was a man pushing a shopping cart down the aisle like this. And my wife said, do you see that guy? I said, yes. She said, that's eccentric. She said, that's you. That's something you would do. And for a split second, I was offended. Until it hit me. That's absolutely something I would do. And I wouldn't feel bad about it at all. And I've decided and I've determined that perhaps my life is to be the one in the middle of the room that everyone looks at and, and stares at, maybe for some entertainment from time to time. But here's the good news. Your order is found in your orders. And where you fit is found in what frustrates you. In other words, you belong by doing what God has designated you to do. Your job is to do the job that God has given you to do. What is that? If it's to preach, then preach it, preacher. If it's to teach, then you better teach it, teacher. If your job is to give everything that you have to the mission and the vision of the church, then you should be involved at all levels and helping fulfill the mission and the vision of First Assembly of God in Bakersfield, California. Not to just talk about what God does, but to allow yourself to be impacted by what God does by being involved in what God does. We talk often about what God does through the church, but it's time that we begin to put our hands to the things that God is doing in the church. If God is allowing you to support 70 missionaries around the world, then you are part of making an impact in hundreds of places and in peoples all over the world. There is something great and there is a legacy involved in that type of generosity. And so we find ourselves trying to understand what our purpose and our placement is. And this is what I wanted to begin to take you on the story of where we found ourselves today. My wife and I were pastoring a church in Phoenix, Arizona, having planted that church in 2014 when the Lord began to speak to us about missions. He began to speak to us about our role and our place and what he was calling us to do. And I have to be honest with you, it was a very unique, a powerful, and a, a daunting moment. We were in love with where we were. We loved the desert. We loved living in the desert. I didn't own a lawnmower for eight years. I would just go out and I would rake my rocks. I would go and I would pick oranges off of our trees in our yard and, and I would go pick lemons off of our trees and we would make lemonade on a good day. 
And then the Lord began to speak to us about what he was calling us to do. And I remember as the Lord began to speak to me for the first time, I sensed it out of relationship with Jesus. I can sense his voice. And the Lord began to speak to me about leaving everything that we knew and everything that we'd become comfortable with and everything that we'd poured our heart into to begin to leave that behind to give ourselves to missions. And at first I pretended like I didn't hear his voice. At first I began to invest myself in the life of the church, putting my hands to, good, to the good things of the church, hoping that God would be satisfied with my work, hoping that God would be satisfied with my effort. And do you know what happens when you and I hear the voice of God and choose to do the opposite of the thing that he's calling us to do? We begin to invest ourselves in good things to the detriment of our intimacy with him. See, God is calling you and I ultimately, first and foremost, to intimacy with Jesus. He's calling us to an intimate life and an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you and I try to busy ourselves with the good things that are in front of us, oftentimes that's to the detriment of the best thing that he's calling us to take part in. Sometimes it's to the detriment of the great thing that he's calling us to. And in 2019, we resigned from the church and we begin this journey to embark upon a journey with a nationwide ministry called Africa Call. Today, the continent of Africa has 21 countries that do not have an Assemblies of God missionary. We have the same number of missionaries in Africa today that we did in 1964. And yet there are 250 million people on the continent of Africa that have never heard the name Jesus. Africa is the fastest growing continent, the most urbanizing continent. It is the youngest continent on the planet with 1.3 billion people on the continent of Africa today. You can take the mainland of China, all of America, most of Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Japan, and the subcontinent of India, put it over the continent of Africa, and you've still not covered its land mass. There are 400 million people on the continent of Africa that are under the age of 18, and yet we have 21 countries in Africa that have no missionary from our movement and the Lord began to speak to us about the possibility and the potential of casting vision to the American church and believing that we can see 400 new missionaries go to Africa within the next five years and I want to go ahead and begin to say this before I even get to the end of the message that perhaps there's somebody in this room that you've been trying to understand what God is saying to you You've been trying to understand where you're going and in what direction God has you. And here you are saying, but where could my life end up? And I believe that perhaps the frustration that you feel is that you've not obeyed your orders. God's told you to go right and you've gone left. He's asked for all and you've settled for some. He said more and you've said enough. But here's where we're going. You've all been set on mission. But the mission isn't fulfilled unless the purpose is realized. And yet your purpose will never be fully realized until you begin to embrace your mission. We cannot know the purpose without an embrace of God's mission. And we cannot help to fulfill that mission and that vision without being settled into our purpose in the middle of it. Purpose and placement are tied to mission and vision. You were made to be filled. You were made to be complete in Jesus. You were born to be finished in his presence you are filled when your purpose is found in God's placement but you will never become complete until you are full of the mission of God see for some of us in the room the emptiness that you feel and the loneliness that you felt the sense of wandering it comes back down to this you haven't obeyed your marching orders 
See, marching orders are simple. They're to a better future. They're to find who you really are. They're for life. They are not for death. They are meant for us to hear the voice of God and then to go to that place just like the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and you brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley of dry bones. It reminds me of a, of a man that I know named Pastor Timothy. A couple of years ago, a member of our team went to northern Ghana to begin to dig a water well. And they went to northern Ghana to dig the water well and the the red clay of that northern region of Ghana. And as they begin to dig the water well, we, we knew immediately that there had to be a church planted there. They weren't going to go dig a water well without planting the church in that area. We weren't going to give physical water and then not leave the living water as well. So as the well was dug, a church was established and Pastor Timothy became the pastor. It wasn't long before that entire city began to experience a move of God, and people from all over the region came to that well. On the very first day that the spigot was working for the first time, and as water spilled down onto the ground, people came with their buckets to fill their buckets with water and to take home. See, in Africa, we say that water is life. We say that water is also death. See, Africa is the most water-scarce continent on the planet. And what happens is that young ladies and women will oftentimes go down to water wells and, and these daughters will go down to streams and they will go down and they will pull water out of mud holes that have been trampled by animals. They will go down to rivers that have crocodiles just lying ready for them underneath and many of them have lost limbs and sometimes their life going for water. And so when they hear that water is coming to their community, clean and fresh water, something happens in them. And the church was filled with people who come to know Jesus from the testimony of Pastor Timothy who had planted the church where the water had been found. A couple of weeks after the church had its first service, there was a knock at the door. Pastor Timothy went to the door and opened it up and there waiting for him was a man who just recently converted from Islam. He looked at Pastor Timothy and he said, I would like to be baptized. Pastor Timothy said, well, we're going to have a baptismal service in two weeks. <clears throat> Come back then and we will baptize you. This was what he'd been waiting for. This was an exciting moment for him. This was something he knew all of his ministry was going to occur and there was a joy and an excitement. But as he started to close the door, the man put his hand, keeping the door from shutting, and said, no, I would like to be baptized now. So Pastor Timothy looked around and he saw no water, no pool, no baptismal tank. But what he saw was a water well. So he walked over to the spigot and he began to pump it. And the water began to spill onto the ground and started to make mud there on the ground in northern Ghana. And Pastor Timothy looked at the man and said, lay down. So he laid in the mud and he rolled around. And Pastor Timothy said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that man got up and he began to tell his entire family about Jesus. His whole family began to accept Jesus and came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And just a few days after this man had been baptized, there was another knock at Pastor Timothy's door. And there standing in the doorway was this man again. And this time he was there with his wife. 
And she said, I would like to be baptized. So Pastor Timothy began to pump the water. And the water spilled down onto the ground. And he told her to lay down, and she laid down. Rolled around, and she rolled around. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. See, there's always something that happens when the Spirit of God begins to move in a community, when God begins to move not only in Bakersfield, but in northern Ghana communities. His presence begins to be made known. You and I, our purpose has always been to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. Even though there are 250 million people on the continent of Africa that still have never heard the name Jesus Christ, it is the living water that makes a difference in them. Yes, the physical water brings them to the well, but the living water keeps them at the well. The physical water brings nourishment to their soul, but the living water is what creates and causes a revival, a move of God that shakes an entire nation. If you and I want to see a nation shook by the power of the Holy Spirit, then let's begin to believe together that it's His presence that goes before us. It's His grace that changes us, and it's His mercy that allows our past to be forgiven and not be held against us. It is His good name that we speak in the morning, and it's his grace that keeps us strong at night. We remember that God is love. And we're constantly held by that grace. The prophet Ezekiel was taken to a valley. I'd, I'd like somebody to come back to the keyboard, please. The prophet Ezekiel was taken into a valley. A valley of dry bones. And I want you to notice with me for just a moment what happens in this very fantastical event that has taken place in the vision of the prophet Ezekiel. The scripture says that Ezekiel looks around at this dry valley filled with bones and he says to the Lord, in a moment of frustration, essentially he's asking God why he had been brought to this place. And notice with me for just a moment what God said to the prophet Ezekiel. He said, can these bones live? Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I love the response that the prophet Ezekiel gives to the Lord in that moment. He says, you know. You're the only one who knows. I, I couldn't possibly tell you whether or not this valley of dry bones could live, but you understand whether or not it's possible. See, there's some of you in the house this morning that you've been standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones. The reality of your family is that your family's filled with dry bones. You go to a workplace every Monday morning that you dread and that you can't stand walking into because you look around you and you see that you're surrounded by a valley of dry bones. You come into your city and there's many of you in this house that you've been praying for the city of Bakersfield and you've been praying for the state of California. You've been praying for our nation and you look around you and you see and you feel that you're standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones. Notice what God says. He says, can these bones live? See, your answer to that question is the marker of the spiritual nature of the moment. You know. We know 
that the God who owns the cattle on the thousand hill provides for me even in the middle of my darkest moment. We know that the God who created everything is still the God who holds it all in the palm of his hand. We know that even though the continent of Africa has become overrun by Islamic extremists and many places have been overrun by poverty and urbanization that God still says to sons and daughters, to missionaries on the continent of Africa, can these bones live? And it's the same thing that God is saying to you this morning. Son, daughter, can these bones live? And your response, oh God, only you know. Notice what God says. He said, then prophesy to these bones. Here's where the responsibility falls upon you. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Listen, friends, it's not good enough just to stand in the middle of a valley of dry bones and recognize poverty. It's not good enough just to stand in the middle of the valley of dry bones and recognize pain. It's not just good enough to stand in the middle of a valley of dry bones and recognize racism. It's not good enough to stand in the middle of a valley of dry bones and recognize the pain. It is now the church's responsibility. It becomes your responsibility to prophesy to these dry bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is love. The word of the Lord is joy. The word of the Lord is peace. The word of the Lord is patience. The word of the Lord is healing. The word of the Lord is freedom. So Ezekiel began to prophesy to these bones. And notice with me what the scripture says that happened to the dry bones. It says that the bones came together, bone to bone, and a rattling sound. Because what once had been an army had always been intended to be an army. The purpose of an army is to fight. The purpose of an army is war. The purpose of an army has always been to fight for what it knows it has come to stand for. And the purpose of an army will never lose its original and initial mandate. Just like the church. I'm going to go on a tangent. The purpose of the church has always been, regardless of pain, regardless of heartache, regardless of a season that many of us have struggled to come through, regardless of what we've been through, the purpose of the church has always been the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ to the community that we find ourselves in. You've not lost your purpose. Your family has not lost its purpose. Your mission has not lost its purpose. The hope of God for you has not failed by the wayside. Perhaps somebody in the house needs to be be reminded that these dry bones can live. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord for you is hope. The word of the Lord for you is healing. The word of the Lord for you is joy. The word of the Lord for your family is restitution. Freedom. For somebody, the word of the Lord for your family is hope in the midst of the storm. For some of you, the word of the Lord for your family is reconciliation. I believe that in all of my heart. I'm, somebody in this room needs to know that God's word for you right now is a reconciliation. He's reconciling son to father, mother to daughter in Jesus' name right now. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. When my wife and I finally said yes to missions, 
we knew that God's mission for us was more than we could do by ourselves. And that's why we get the privilege of partnering with churches like you who say, let us be a part of praying. Part of your mission is to pray. Part of your mission is to go. Part of your mission is to go to your next door neighbor, but to also go around the world to talk and to teach and to preach the good news of Jesus. And part of your mission is to give. To give financially, to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure to missions that makes a difference around the world just like it's made in us, just like your partnership has made the difference in us. And we've been able to see 50 new missionaries go all over Africa within the last year alone because of your faithful financial partnership. This makes a difference in places that still to this day are unreached on the continent of Africa. Bakersfield, thank you for the opportunity to stand with you to serve the least of these. Seven years, seven years after my mom and dad prayed against each other. My mom and dad finally went and they sat in front of a group of men and women in Springfield, Missouri to talk about missions. And sitting across the table from these men and women for an hour, they talked about countries in Africa that needed a worker. My dad was frustrated after that hour because none of them made sense to him. None of them spoke to him. And, and so he, he was pushing back the table from this hour-long conversation when finally one of the men said, wait, wait, wait. Let me talk to you about Sierra Leone. My dad said, tell me. And the man said, well, when you land in Freetown, the capital city, you don't land in a normal airport. It's separated from the city and it's on a peninsula. When you walk to the bottom of the stairs, he said, you'll look out and you'll see that you're surrounded on three sides by water. If you look out across the bay, you'll see that on the other side of the bay, there is a city on the other side that rises up on the mountains where the mountains meet the beach. And you'll see the twinkling lights from the kerosene lanterns all the way from the airport, even though you're an hour away. And in 1989, my mom and dad became missionaries to Sierra Leone and West Africa, leaving everything that they knew to embrace the sake of the mission, to stand in the middle of a valley of dry bones and preach the word of God. There is somebody in this room now that needs to hear what I'm about to say. You are called by God to do things that other people are unwilling to do. And it's about time that you begin to embrace what the Lord has said to you five years ago, 10 years ago, a month ago, to say, to him, my answer to you is always going to be yes. My response to you is always yes. Because what happens when the valley of dry bones come together? It comes together simply because Jesus said, because I said so. The bones come together. Healing takes place when God says so. Broken families come together because he said so. Cities are restored because God said so. Nations experience revival because God said so. He doesn't always have a reason that computes with my human understanding. But when God says so, extreme things take place. It's our job to stand in the middle of the valley of dry bones and declare the word of the Lord. It's my job to declare the word of the Lord to you and to the continent of Africa because God 
said so. Would you bow your heads with me all over the room? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every person who's in this room right here and right now. I thank you for the men and the women who've gathered together in this place to hear your voice and to hear your word. Lord, and I pray that you would speak to them. Father, I pray for every teenager in the house right now that's trying to understand the next few years. I pray the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them now in the name of Jesus. I pray for every, every child under, under the age of 10 that feels insignificant. God, I pray that you begin to speak to them right now in the name of Jesus about the future, about the mission, about the vision. I pray for every person over the age of 60 who feels like that they are coasting toward the end of their life. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would stir them for something extraordinary in ways they never thought they could be stirred for here under the sound of my voice in the name of Jesus to begin to believe that there is even something greater for them as they pursue your heart and we will bless your name for it amen and amen I'm so grateful to have been able to be here pastor James is going to come you guys are amazing come back tonight at 5 30 I'm gonna I'm just gonna go Amen. Let's give him a hand. If that don't fire you up, nothing else will. That was awesome. I want to just close the service and just invite you again to join us tonight at 530. Also uh, Wednesday morning at 9 and then Wednesday night at 630. And so would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the elders uh, to come. They're still available for prayer if you need prayer today. Just feel free to come and join us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this challenge, Lord. We are inspired, Lord, to speak the word of the Lord to the dry bones in our life, Lord, whether it's on our job, in our family, wherever we go. You want to bring life, Lord, to what is dead. And Lord, thank you that we get to partner, Lord, in missions. We make a difference for eternity. We are part of that legacy when we give, when we pray, when we send, and when we go. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to challenge us. What are you asking us to give, Lord? How can we participate in this, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, and we'll see you tonight. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.